Hey, good morning. Welcome again to Anthem. Uh, today is uh, Vision Sunday, uh, and we do these occasionally throughout the year, one, two times, and we call it that because periodically we take a pause from whatever it is that we're teaching through, some of our normal teaching rhythms, or we find a gap in between some stuff. We're just coming out of Advent season, and next week we launch into the book of Acts for the year. Uh, but we, we take those pauses to ask a couple of questions of ourselves. Now, our mission is, is helping people find their way back to God, but you know, every year, maybe every couple of years, God impresses upon us uh, some specific ways that we are leaning into who he has called us to be as a church community. And when we would do those pauses and when we take a beat to um, understand what God is calling us into, we're usually asking a couple of different questions. Uh, we're asking the question, who has God called us to be as a church? Uh, so we're just simply asking, what is it that he's asking us to do? Who is he calling us to be? But the second question is, will we actually lean into that? Will it go from just uh, an idea or maybe something we're praying into or learning about to something we're giving our lives to? And the third question we're asking is, what might it look like to align or realign our life to that God assignment? And so typically it's Matt who's, who's doing these Sundays, and, and we're asking these three questions every time we kind of come upon a break and just are trying to discern not only what God has for us as a church, but how can we as a community move forward in that together. And ultimately, it's, it's a time of uh, invitation, and it's a time of response. It's responding to who God is and what he's done and what he's calling us to, uh, but it's also invitation to join in that story. So it's no accident that the first Sunday of the year officially, I know last Sunday kind of felt like the first Sunday of the year. It technically was not. It was uh, the end of 2023. This is the first Sunday of the year. So it's no accident we kind of take this Sunday market as where are we going as a church community, as we're looking ahead. And as Matt was leading us through uh, last week, which I thought was a, a really powerful and profound moment to, to pause, to be with Jesus as we're examining and, and looking back on the year that went uh, before us and as we're looking ahead to this next year, uh, that, was, that was hugely impactful for me. I was sifting through some of my, my journaling notes and, and just wondering with God what he's up to in my life. But as I was thinking about last week, I thought that was a beautiful moment for like us individually to, to sit with. We all had our kind of note card or, or notebooks that we were using. We're asking these questions of ourselves. What do we have to rejoice for or lament about or look forward to? Maybe it's for your family. That was kind of, it was fairly contained. And so what I'm hoping today is, is today we get an opportunity for that to land in us as a community for what God has done in the past and what he's going to be doing in our church in the future, for that actually to move from the sphere of us as an individual or an individual family to us as a church family together. So that's what I'm hoping for today is it's a chance for us to actually collectively look ahead to what God is calling us into and lean into that together. And what we're going to do is we're going to unpack these four words that Matt has been teaching through and leading us through over the last year, year and a half or so. It's these, these words of dependence, devotion, stirring, scent. These are the kinds of people we believe that God is calling us into. And particularly, uh, we feel as a leadership team compelled to focus in on these specific applications of our faith together as we move forward in the kind of church that God is calling us and asking us to be. 
So as we start into Acts next year, and as today is that first Sunday of the month, we, we get an opportunity to sort of just orient ourselves towards the direction of discipleship that Jesus is cultivating in us. Now, I'm, I'm kind of a visual person. Visual aids help my silly lizard brain remember things better. If you look at my notebook, it's often full of sketches that help me remember things. And so I'm going to give you one of the things I've been sketching out is I've been considering um, these, these four words uh, that Matt has been leading us through over the last year. And it's going to start with these three circles right behind me. I know there's four words and three circles. It'll all work out in the end, trust me, on that one. And we're just going to unpack these four words and what it means for us to live into this together as a people. So if you have your Bible or a Bible app, take it out and just sort of put your thumb in Matthew. We're going to be camping out in the book of Matthew and darting around in some of Jesus' teaching as we unpack what we have today. And we're going to start with our first word, devoted. What does it mean to be a devoted people, a devoted person and a devoted church? To be a devoted people is to cultivate something particular. It's something that will not just happen naturally on its own. It's to cultivate a steadfast attention towards God. And to be devoted to something or someone means to be attentive to, to give unremitting care for, to commit to, to preserve, to sacrifice for. And as you think of that word devotion, it might not be hard to think in your life areas to which you are already devoted. If you're married, you're devoted to your, your spouse. If you have kids, you're devoted to your kids. And, and what happens is when you are devoted to something or someone there's a priority shuffle that happens in your life, that you are more devoted, you, are, you prioritize the things you are already devoted to. So for instance, Sherry, my wife, I'm devoted to her. I'm devoted to my kids. I sacrifice for, I provide for, I give care to, I give attention to, I give the most amount of time to Sherry and my kids because I'm most devoted to them among all my human relationships, which means I enjoy and, and like and love Sherry a lot more than I like you guys. And that's by design. That's perfect. Nothing is you. You guys are all lovely people, but I like Sherry better. And um, same with my kids. You know, like I'm giving them the most attention possible, the most care possible, preserving them, uh, helping them grow, helping them encounter Jesus because of my devotion to them. And you guys can think of your maybe spheres of life, of not only your spouse, your kids, if you have them, but close friends, close family, uh, those who God has put into communion with you, you're going to give those people more of your time and more of yourself because you are devoted to them. And this idea of devotion is is not just a priority reshuffle, but it's like a diligent disposal of other things that get in the way. So my being devoted to Sherry is diligently disposing any who would compete with that kind of attention or affection in my life. And as I'm thinking about how I relate to God, being devoted to God means diligently disposing of the things that get in the way of my devotion to God. So maybe that's disposing of things or maybe it's acquiring new habits or practices or qualities or thoughts to sharpen my focus on God. So to be a devoted people as a church is to orient our lives together around this radical commitment to God and his kingdom above all else. But devotion is not a uniquely Christian thing. It's it's actually a revealer of just what happens in the human heart. And it reveals a few potent things that we can think about today. One is it reveals our allegiance. Our devotion reveals our allegiance. To be a devoted people is to exercise a kind of gospel loyalty in the face of immense and intense cultural coercion. 
Jesus, in his teaching to his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, gives this sharp and profound contrast here. And he says in Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, first of all, he starts with an if, right? It's not inevitable that you will follow Jesus. He says, if anyone would come after me. We come after Jesus. He's not calling us to do anything that he hasn't already done. He's leading the way for us. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Embedded in this call of Jesus to follow him necessarily means some amount of self-denial. Some amount of saying no to myself, my, my inner um, sort of motives, my inner uh, immediate reactions for, uh, for pleasure, for satisfaction, for safety, for comfort, to deny some part of me to follow Jesus. And he says, in this upside-down kingdom, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So some amount of this self-denial or losing of yourself, you actually gain something so much better. I like how Eugene Peterson, in the message translation, he he summarizes verse 25 like this. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. And Jesus poignantly asks, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And Jesus is asking, what is most important? Who or what has your allegiance? Your undying trust, affection, attention, loyalty, commitment. Uh, Writer Matthew Bates says this, quote, The gospel is the power-releasing story of how Jesus became king, and the only adequate response is allegiance alone. To be a devoted disciple is to give our allegiance to God, as the scripture says, above all the other gods, all the other voices, forces, spiritual and inanimate that try to capture your attention, affection, and allegiance. So our devotion reveals our allegiance, but also reveals our worship, an expression of that allegiance. And just like devotion, worship is not a uniquely Christian thing. It is a human thing. So whether it's a hero or possessions, a success, pleasure, a political cause, a carved idol, another spiritual being, or yourself, everybody worships something. The way we live and behave makes evidence the thing we love and give ourselves to. So it's in our very nature to worship. This right here is not actually an evil desire. It is a God-given desire from creation that we were made to orient our life towards something or someone. Ultimately, God himself, but the tragedy of the fallen world that we live in is like what Paul said in Romans 1. We exchanged the creator God for all the stuff he created. So we settle for something lesser. And Jesus makes the point really clearly in Matthew chapter 6, just a few pages to the left, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this in verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus says you cannot serve God and money. To be devoted to Jesus actually takes a, a rejection 
of the other things that try to make themselves the object of our not only allegiance, but worship. Writer, philosopher, now passed away, Dallas Willard, he said this, quote, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. I love this. So grace-filled. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. It's so gracious in that statement. But these are habits, he says, not the law of gravity, and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. To be a devoted disciple, to be a devoted people, is to place our worship on the only one who deserves it and can bear it, and that's Jesus himself. So our devotion reveals our allegiance, our worship, but it also reveals our formation. And this is maybe a little bit of a, a sneaky one. When we ask the question, who or what are we being formed by? Who are the voices, who are the, the sources of input, or what are the sources of input that shape our worldview, our mind, our heart, our soul? And the reality is, you and I are being formed just by waking up in the morning. We would like to think we start at like a net zero and we have the choice to either like follow Jesus or maybe just stay put and we just kind of live in neutral. Uh, but the reality is just by waking up in the morning, there are a multitude of voices and forces trying to form you into something or someone. So the question is not, are you being formed, but who or what is doing that forming in you? Which podcasts or articles or news sites or channels or books or TV shows or movies are doing the forming in you. Worship is incredibly forming. The idea of elevating something or someone above all the other somethings or someones in your life forms you and shapes you in a profound way. Writer and philosopher James K.A. Smith says, worship that restores us is worship that restories us. There's something written in us when we give ourselves to worshiping something or someone. And as Jesus calls us to be like himself, to be formed into his image, into his character, into his actions, he says this in Matthew chapter 10, just a few pages over to the right in verse 24. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. To be a devoted disciple is to be formed by God above all the other competing forces that are trying to form you. After that alarm goes off, the email notification from your boss, the text from a friend or a text from someone you're trying to avoid, or the social media notification that's saying someone liked or commented on a picture or something you posted, or a news alert of something happening around the world that you have no control over, but it's invading your mind anyway, or even... Uh, benign things, like your children who run in and wake you up and ask you for breakfast right away. In that moment, you're already being formed into something or someone. All these forces at work, what the, what the theologian Martin Luther called the world, the flesh, the enemy, all these things conspiring against your formation into the person 
of Jesus Christ. And our devotion reveals that formation. What we are devoted to most will form us the most. What we are devoted to most will hold our worship, will hold our allegiance. So God has called us to be a devoted people as a church community, devoted to him above all the other competing forces and voices. But he's also called us to be a stirring people. It's not just us and God. There's a us together component here. To be a stirring people is to press into intentional transformational relationships. We can't follow Jesus alone. Many of us tried, uh, and I find it interesting that Jesus did not have a disciple. He had many disciples. He himself lived in and modeled community for us. And we know that as we choose our friendships, choose our relationships, we have a tendency to choose the people who are like us, who maybe dress like us, live where we live, vote for who we vote for, talk like us, like the same kind of food. And it's easy to collect a bunch of people that are like us. And what happens is you never really grow and change in those relationships. They're fun and enjoyable, but you're never actually challenged to grow in those moments. A community in the Bible as the Bible lays out for us, it puts us together with a bunch of people that we may not normally hang out with. Maybe puts us with people we don't like that much or that rub us the wrong way or that get on our nerves or ignore us, annoy us or always hog the conversation in community group or never contribute to the meal or whatever it is. Community forces us in those zones with people that force something. It's like friction. It's like sparks fly and something happens. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10 says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And as Matt has shared a few times, that word stir is more like agitate. It's like sandpaper. It's rubbing against each other. The writer says, how do we agitate one another towards love and good works? How do we frustrate each other towards love and good works? I know it doesn't seem very nice, does it? Not neglecting to meet together, not bailing because it's hard or inconvenient or frustrating, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, community is something really interesting. It has this like two-pronged attack in your life. Uh, Community encourages you. Throughout the Bible, we see that people of God with each other are to build each other up, strengthen each other, and deposit courage into each other for the day ahead. But that second prong is, is community exposes something. Like a sponge that gets squeezed, community would reveal what's actually inside of you, what leaks out of you when you're squeezed, when you're frustrated, when you're tired, when you're upset. It gets squeezed, what comes out. And it's in those vulnerable, accountable spaces we can be challenged to grow. Now, the world will tell us that if we feel uncomfortable, something is wrong and something is off. Something is bad. We have to change our circumstances if we feel some amount of uncomfort because that, that doesn't feel right in me. What the Bible actually challenges us towards is when we feel uncomfortable, there should be like a, a, a flag or a trigger that goes in your mind saying, ah, get ready to grow. Something is about to happen here. Uncomfortable is not inherently bad. Often it's like that canary in the coal mine that you have an opportunity to partner with the Holy Spirit in some kind of change or growth 
in your life. And so as Rob is back there masterminding which community group you'll be in, he's not only thinking, ooh, who's going to be like, like these other people? How are they going to fit in? But how are they also going to grow as a result of being dropped with this crew? And that's on purpose. That's intentional. It's by design. There's an old African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And there's something in that as we're running after this Jesus life together. We cannot do it alone. And we're not going to always get to do it with our favorite people. We're going to get to do it with the people that God has put in our lives for whatever reason we can't understand at this moment, but trust him in that forge. God has called us to be a devoted people and a stirring or agitating people. That should have been the word, agitating. Agitating, I like that. Stirring and (laughs) devoted people, but also a sent people. We're sent to bring Jesus' kingdom to wherever sphere that he has put us in. So we're not observers of the world coming to know Christ, but we are active participants in his mission. We are the sent ones, the apostles of the message of the gospel. Jesus in John 20, 21 says, As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And so Jesus says we are sent, but sent to do what? What do we do in this sentness? There's a number of different ways we can explore what sense looks like wherever you are. But there's this, uh, these two words, this phrase that crops up all over the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, justice and righteousness. This pairing of God's people going out into a broken world and making something right, bringing something of God to those spaces. And in Genesis chapter 18, you don't have to turn there. You can read that story if you want. We see this, uh, this story, this picture of a city descending into moral chaos and destruction and juxtaposed next to that sinful city we have Abraham, who God has called to practice justice and righteousness in a world of oppression and injustice. And something about that phrase, something about what God calls Abraham to do is to be a blessing. And the outcome of that blessing to the nations is doing justice and righteousness. He wants, God wants his people to embody his very character and nature as they go on about their lives. And it turns out that loving God and loving your neighbor are inseparable. This biblical summary, justice and righteousness, of what it means for God's people to live in this world is about bringing his kingdom to our reality. And Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5, tells us we play a part in that role, that part of bringing God's kingdom here to earth. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to us to himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation, reconciling the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth those who know him and don't know him, justice and injustice. We're reconciling these things by how we live. One of the things we believe that God is calling us to, and we believe God is doing in this place, is challenging us to understand what it means to be sent ones wherever he has placed us. That wherever you are, he has sent you there on purpose. Your neighborhood, your street, your family, Wherever you work, your classroom, like your friendships, you have been sent to those places. And in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul gives us this image of being rooted somewhere, that God has put you somewhere, and until he uproots you, you're to be faithful in that place. So where has God already sent you? He has sent us to Marty Court in Newberry Park. 
He's put us on this cul-de-sac to bring Jesus' presence to our neighbors. If you live in Newbury Park, if you live in Moore Park, Thousand Oaks, Simi, Agora, wherever you live, he has sent you there. And until we can think or dream about where we would like him to send us, somewhere around the world, or maybe to the house we wish we had, or the neighborhood we wish we had, or the job we wish we had, there's a call to be faithful into the place you already are. What might it look like to bring God's presence, his kingdom, to wherever you already are? God is moving on this planet, and the prayer of Jesus in Matthew 9 is that not the harvest would happen, but the harvest is already here, and and there are laborers that need to go into that harvest. So your workplace, your street, there is already a harvest there. And Jesus' prayer is that laborers would actually go into that space. A writer I mentioned earlier, Matthew Bates, he says the gospel has been entrusted to the whole church for the sake of the entire world. There's an expansiveness to this sentness, and often we think it's somewhere over there, but more often than not, it starts right here. To be a sent people is to go wherever God sends us to live right, to do what is right, and to help set things right. So we're devoted, stirring a sent people. We filled in our three circles at this point. But there's one more word that we've been huddling around over the last year. And as I've heard Matt unpack these words in the past, for me it all comes together in this final word, this final phrase, dependent disciples. I I don't know if that's the proper, like, order, but for me, as how I've processed it, this is how it's kind of been rolling around my mind. That all these things working together actually produce a certain kind of disciple and a certain kind of church. That is one based on dependence. To be dependent people is to live in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Now, the world will tell us that dependence is bad. It's a bad thing. So rely only on yourself. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Make your own destiny. You do you. The amount of YouTube videos that I've seen that talk about, like, all the gear you need to survive off the grid, you know, just you and, like, a knife and a flashlight. I'm sure there's more things. I'm not, I wouldn't be very good at being off the grid. <laughs> but like it's, it's a whole, like, it is a whole thing out there. How can you be your own sustainable source of whatever in this world? How can you just be not dependent on anyone, not dependent on the electricity grid so we're going to get solar, not dependent on water so we're going to build a well in the back, not dependent on whatever, and you go totally off the grid, either physically or metaphorically, in your life. The world would tell us dependence is a bad thing. And the kingdom of God flips that upside down and says dependence is actually how you were made to live. You were not made to live by yourself. One of the first things God comments about humanity at its origin is not good that man is alone. So it creates a partner. And we see with the fall, it's not good that man and God are separated. So it creates a way for them to be together. Jesus says in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. In John 15, verse 4, abide in me, dwell with me, make your home in me. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, Before we even talk about bearing fruit, you cut off a branch from a vine, 
that branch is not only not bearing fruit, it's immediately dying. It's immediately dead. It starts the dying process the minute it gets lopped off. It needs to be connected to the vine, not to bear fruit. Of course it does, but just to survive, just to be fully functioning, to be growing. Paul uses this language in Galatians chapter 5, keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, we also keep in step by the Spirit. Uh, just a, a couple of weeks ago, I was up in the mountains, and, and it started to snow while I was, was up there. And I love walking around in this, like, fresh snow and just, like, making it not fresh anymore by stepping in it. And I had that picture in my mind as I was thinking about Galatians 5, that keeping in step with the Spirit is literally just my foots and his footprints, that we're walking in union together. That's, that's a pretty dependent life to keep in step with the Spirit. A branch that is cut off from the vine and withers away immediately. To stay connected to that branch, it's a pretty dependent life. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, to set your hope fully on Jesus. Above all the other things we like to hope for. That is, it's like toxic dependence right there. I'm setting my full hope on one person. But Jesus says, I can bear the weight of that hope. Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6 that you were actually made for Holy Spirit inhabitation. And no greater level of dependence than the Holy Spirit taking up residence inside of you. Do you not know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit? Whom you have from God, you are not your own. That is the ultimate picture of dependence. You don't own yourself. You were not your own. You were bought, redeemed. Now, I don't know if there's the proper order for these words, but as I have been thinking about them, devoted, stirring, sent, for me, they do all come together in this life of dependence. And it's like this two-way thing. Like, we can't be devoted, stirring, or sent people if we're not dependent. But also, if we're living lives of dependence on the Spirit, we can't help but being devoted, stirring, sent people. It just oozes from us. Our cup overflows, like Psalm 23 says. It just becomes who we are, part of our nature and identity. So what do we do when we, when we hear this? When I hear Matt or whoever unpack something like this, uh, I don't know if you're anything like me, but my mind goes to maybe one or two places. Um, my mind first maybe goes to, this does not feel like my felt experience. This is not who I am, so maybe it's not for me. Or if I'm being gracious, maybe it's not for me yet. Maybe someday, but not right now. This is for someone else in the room. It's for a bunch of other people in the room. And there's a real danger in that as a church community if we say that. Uh, because what if everyone thinks that? Everyone in this room thinks, oh, that's, that sounds cool, but that's not my felt or lived experience. So that must be for someone else in the room here. It's not for me. It must be for someone else. Uh, we, have, we have this book. Uh, I think Sherry's mom gave it to us. I hope, is that Lure or did she actually give it to us? Okay, she actually gave us this book. Uh, and the book is called What If Everyone Did That? And it's, you know, like it's, it's a kid book. So it's like, what if everyone ate like a, a candy bar for dinner and then we'd all get fat and die? Like, just what, what if everyone like yelled at their mom all the time? Like we just have, you know, chaos in the streets. And it, it's, it's one of those books. Okay, you get my meaning. But as, as I think about this, I'm thinking, what if everyone thought the way I think that this might be for someone else? Our church would stall out? Like what would happen to the movement of the gospel? I, I love dancing with this 
the, the strange picture that God can do whatever he wants, yet he chooses to work with us. And what happens if we don't engage with him? We can take you to some very weird places, but I think it is profound quite fascinating that God, the creator of the universe, could do whatever he wants, chooses to use us, and then asks us to join him. What a gift that is. I think there's something to steward in that. Because the truth is, this is who God has called us to be as a church community. Which means, this is who you are called to be. This is what you are invited into. And there might be an aspirational side to this, but it's like this becoming who you are thing. That if if you are a part of Anthem Church, if Anthem is your home, these are the expressions of faithfulness we are leaning into together. And whether it is your lived and felt experience or not, this is something we are running towards together as a church community. The, The second danger, if the first is maybe the eject moment where I just say it's not for me, it's for someone else. The second danger is uh, maybe we try to take a step further and we say, you know what, I'm not into all four of these things, but I'll maybe try one or two, I'll dabble with one or two. And uh, there might be some potential dangers in in just maybe picking and choosing a few of these things to run after. Um, One is if we're just saying, uh, you know, I'm just going to do the devoted thing. That sounds great. I'm going to commit to just being devoted this year, but I'm not going to really be into the sense or the stirring stuff. That sounds like a big commitment, so I'm just going to do the devotion thing. What happens, the danger here is that we could develop this kind of insular spirituality that just is me and God. And no one else, no one else can tell me what to do. No one else can challenge me. I actually don't have to do anything. I can just lock myself in my prayer closet for eight hours a day and then it's just me and and God and that's it. Or if we uh, just say, hey, the stirring thing sounds kind of cool. I'm new to the area. I just want some friends, you know, like that's not a bad impulse. Uh, But if we just kind of live in that one space, we just become a social club. Uh, We just look for people like us. We don't really want to be changed or challenged. And we just say, who who is like me? I look around the room. Who's got small kids around my age? How can I hang out with them and just be like them? Or if we just try to do the scent thing apart from stirring or devoted, uh, and we just want to go out and do good, then the expressions of our good just end up becoming like everyone else in the world, who's just trying to do good by recycling a bit more, or saving on energy, or voting for a particular person, or volunteering in this area, but detached from any kind of devotion to God, how is that different than people who don't know Jesus? How are we bringing his kingdom into those spaces? So we say, okay, the the singular thing is not the way to go. What if I try to double up a few of these? Well, I got more bad news for you. If you uh, try to double up on some of these, what if I just go devoted and stirring? That's it. You know, the scent thing sounds like much. I'm not a missionary. I'm just like an engineer, and I'm just going to show up at church and do my engineer thing. Uh, If we're just doing the devoted and stirring thing, the danger here is that we might become spiritual gluttons or consumers, just intaking from God, intaking from each other, and then it stops there. The reality is the gospel is not like a cul-de-sac. The gospel is meant to go to and through you. And there's a kind of, (laughs) I can't believe I'm saying this, like a a spiritual constipation that happens if there's there's no out. (laughs) I could not think of a better word in the moment. I'm sorry, you guys. Sorry for that picture. It's going to live with you today. The more space I let, the more that picture is developing. All right. If we go like stirring and scent, we're just going to do the stirring and scent thing. We, we kind of end up like a social activism organization. We're just out there to do good. We're aimed to do good. But then we have to ask the question, who's good? My good? You're good? We might have different definitions of what is good, what our city needs. 
So what do we do then? And if we're sent and devoted, the danger here is to become these lone ranger missionaries uh, with no accountability, no challenge, no grounding, no home base. And so suddenly the things you want, uh, the things God wants suddenly come into alignment with the things you want because there's no check, there's no balance, there's no challenge. And so you're out there on your own. We need community to help keep us grounded. Now, that's a lot of bad news in one chart, sorry, uh, but there is good news uh, right in the middle. I think dependent disciples is all of these working together and working together in kind of a healthy way, where we're not getting clogged up in one specific sphere, but we're leaning into this picture that God has given us of being dependent disciples. It's devoted and stirring and sent people all working together. And so suddenly being devoted is not insular spirituality, but it's radical lordship. It's allegiance to God above all the other gods. And in this new year, there's an opportunity for a new commitment to God and his ways and his people. And then stirring is not just a social club, but it becomes uncommon community where we are challenged to grow, and we're spending time with people who might not be like us, but who can speak prophetic encouragement into our lives, can challenge us, keep us accountable. And to be sent is not secular renewal, but it's biblical justice and righteousness, the kingdom of God brought to bear in whatever sphere of life that we live in. And so there might be an opportunity, a new commitment to embody the kingdom of God wherever he has already placed you. Now, I said at the very beginning that uh, at the very heart of like a vision Sunday is response to who God is, what he has said, what he's doing, and invitation to join us in that journey. There's no guilt, no coercion, no manipulation, nothing like that. It's simply sharing what God has called us to as a church and inviting each other to walk towards that journey. And Jesus' teachings are full of invitations as response to how God has already moved And one of his most profound invitations is found in Matthew, uh, chapter 11. And instead of turning there, I guess you could turn there if you want, but I'd like to actually, like, have you close your eyes. Um, This invitation is so potent um, and I think relevant for us today that I want us to sit with it for just a few moments. And so you can get comfortable if you want. Um, You can close your eyes if you feel comfortable. And I just want to read a bit of Matthew 11 slowly Um, and invite us into some of the things that Jesus is inviting us into. Matthew 11, 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Think of the power and authority of Jesus. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Think of the privilege we have as part of the family of God. We have been invited in to his family. Come to me, all who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Picture what it means to surrender the things that weigh you down. To literally take them off your shoulder like a backpack 
and hand them to Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. As Jesus is giving us his yoke, think of the trust required. We've surrendered what's ours. We're receiving what's his. We're trusting him that it's better and lighter. I will give you rest. He invites us to find rest with him. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why is his yoke easy and his burden light? Because he asks us to step into a life that we were designed for. Dependent partnership with him. And as he gives us his yoke, he gives us a yoke our shoulders were made for. A burden we were made for. There's an invitation to surrender to and trust the one who has the power to do what we cannot. And he's inviting us to go with him as he's on a bringing about his kingdom here in Thousand Oaks and beyond. You can open your eyes. As we sit in that invitation, we can recall those three questions we started with. What has God called us to as a church? Who has he called us to be? Dependent disciples who are devoted, stirring, and sent people. Will we actually lean into that? Will you take upon the yoke of Jesus? Will you join God in his good plan for your life? What might it look like to align your life to this God assignment? I think last week as we were doing some introspection work, some examination work, and what went well, what went wrong in our last year, I was uh, caught up in my lament portion with how many of the things I was lamenting that were like the product of my own doing, like my own sinfulness or selfishness, my own poor decision-making, often around like the sherry or my kids, and I just, I wish I had more patience. I wish I did not respond in anger. I wish I was, like, I wish I was marked by like this patient waiting with our kids. And as I look ahead to this year, I want to do what the writer of Hebrews says, to lay aside every weight and sin which clings closely, like barnacles on a ship, running with endurance the race that God has sent before us, and to align my life around Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who says, come to me, heavy laden. I will give you rest, identity, mission, assignment. I will give you myself, and I will never leave you forsake you. Now just for a moment, we're going to respond here, but can you imagine, can you imagine what kind of church this would be, how our city would change, our impact on the nations, what God can do to and through a community of dependent disciples who are devoted to him above all other gods, who are stirring each other towards love and good works, 
and are sent to bring the kingdom of God into whatever sphere he's already put us in. Like how profound would that be? Like how exciting is that? Like that is a church I want to be a part of. It's a church I believe we are and we're running after. And so like Jesus, we just end with response and invitation. Saying, will you join us as we follow Jesus together? Go ahead and stand with me. I'd love to pray a blessing over you as response and worship. Father, as we stand here considering who it is that you've called us to be as a church community, considering what you're doing in and through us, uh, considering what might need to change in our life to follow you in the way you've, you've outlined for us. What is this God assignment before us? Uh, Jesus, we, we know we cannot do this apart from you. Um, and like your invitation in Matthew 11, we, we surrender ourselves, we trust you, we rest in you, and we take on what it is that you would have for us. And when we do that, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. So we set our eyes before you, Jesus, and the things that you are calling us into. And through the love of the Father and the work of the Son and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you are invited into a whole life pursuit of following Jesus as dependent, devoted, stirring, and sent disciples.